Good evening or afternoon or morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Steve. And this week, we have a very special co-host. You've heard me talk about Dwaylon. Well, now we're going to actually hear Dwaylon talk. Say hi, Dwaylon. Hey, guys. How you doing? Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come help me with this. Uh, Kyle, as you know, is actually on vacation. And he wasn't able to make it. So I said, well, the, the show still must go on. And he gave us, you know, the blessing to go ahead and continue. So uh, thank you, Kyle, for that. Hopefully, whenever you get a chance to listen, um, you'll enjoy what you're hearing. And Dwaylon, hopefully we can have you on, on again as well in the future, not just a one-time appearance. Yep. Yep. Sounds good. Yep. And for, oh, yeah. And for people who don't know, Dwaylon and I have known each other since we were, I think, junior year of high school. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a lot long of, time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of common friends. And then when we both show up to school wearing the same ACDC shirt, <laughs> you know, that kind of cemented the friendship right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, before we, we're going to give some news, but before we do that, I just want to give the contact info. If you want to contact us for anything, if you want to give us any show suggestions, if you want to give us any kind of feedback, uh, it's the e- the email address is armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. We're on Twitter at bookingarmchair. You can find us on YouTube, Stitcher, I- iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So I usually have my notes right in front of me, and I don't today. So I, I was trying to do all that from memory. But I think I got everything, and uh, so yeah, definitely. You all this will be in the the info um, for the podcast itself. We should have the links. You just go to one of those if you want to listen to us and Block Talk Radio, obviously, because that's who actually hosts us. So, Dwaylon, we just heard some kind of a sad news in the wrestling world today, and I know I texted you, and we always text each other whenever we hear uh, any kind of news like this. Unfortunately, the Patriot, Dale Wilkes, yeah. passed away today. Yeah, from what I saw, uh, from what I saw online after you texted, man, he was 59. Mm. I'm not sure what the, uh, I didn't get a chance to check and see if, if anybody knew what the cause of death was. But yeah, he was, he's very underrated. He oh, should have, yeah. you know, he doesn't get nearly the credit that he should for making a whole lot of guys that ended up being big stars in the business look as good as they did. He put a lot of guys over that ended up, you know, being huge stars. And I remember his feud with Bret Hart. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was really good. Brett, uh, I remember reading in Brett's book, he said that was one of his favorite matches toward the end of his WWE run is when he was feuding with the Patriot. And he's like, it was just such a, great contrast of of styles and then you know the patriots platform brett having the anti-american platform at the time and he said it was just you know perfect storm oh yeah and dale wilkes i mean he, um his i guess battle with addiction you know kind of kind of hurt his career some and he was very open about it in a minute how many painkillers he was taking a day uh, much like Kurt Angle, which yeah. a lot of people yeah. forget about this. Dale Wilkes uh, with, you know, the Patriot, his theme music, his entrance music was, was Kurt Angle's. Was yeah. Kurt Angle's later on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, 
but unfortunately, like you said, left us too soon and his career was too short because yeah, I, I actually liked watching him. You know, he was like that feel good kind of wrestler, but I never got like yeah. a fake, I never got a fake feeling with him. No, he was, uh, he was pretty genuine. You could just tell he, you know, you could tell he believed everything he said. He meant everything he said. And he was, I mean, he was so good in the ring. Yeah. He was a whole, you know, a whole lot better than, you know, a lot of the guys he was in the ring with, but he was always, he always gave everybody that he was in the ring with, you know, a hundred percent every time. Yeah. And that, that's one thing you don't, you know, he never phoned it in. And I think that's probably why Bret Hart liked him so much because Brett probably because Brett never phoned it in. Exactly. You know, so, and in other news, did you happen to watch um, any of AEW last night? Cause I know you and I were actually talking while the show was going on. So I didn't no, know. I hadn't got it. I hadn't had a chance to watch it yet. I was going to try to go back this weekend and watch it. Uh, yeah, you do like I do. A lot of times it'll just build up, build up. So I have to get, wait till the weekend to try to yeah, binge watch yeah. <laughs> I have to catch up on everything. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, and Jim Ross, I don't know if you've heard about this yet. I did. I saw it. It, it was all over Twitter this morning where he said WWE Dynamite instead of AEW yeah. Dynamite. I'm like, you know what? The man was with WWE for yeah. over 20 years. People are making such a big deal out of it, and it's like, okay, it's a, and they're like, well, this isn't the first time that he slipped up, okay. But like he said, he's he worked for that company for twenty years. It was a slip up. It was not a big, you know, it's not a, nearly as big of a deal as people are trying to make it out to be. Right, and you know, and the, he's only done it one other time, and that was months ago. Yeah, but he's still arguably the greatest announcer commentator of all time. Oh, absolutely. It's like you see all of these like WWE with their three man commentary crew. And it's like three people combined do not have the the passion and the knowledge that Jim Ross has. Exactly. And he brought a legitimacy to what he was saying, because yeah. even even though Vince and even Eric Bischoff didn't like when he talked about, oh, they were in, they were they played this sport at whatever university. You know, to me, that's an, okay. You know, this, this person is legit and. Yeah. Yep. And he always told, he, he always, every match that Jim Ross commentated, whether it was the opening match or the main event, he made every single match feel important. Some of my favorite matches are some of my favorites because Jim Ross was commentating. Oh yeah. He made, he made you, he made you believe in everything that was happening in the ring. He still yeah. does in AEW. He still makes you believe everything that happens in the ring. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you got a chance to listen to his podcast, but he is fantastic and he does not hold anything back. Well, I've seen, I follow him on Twitter. I hadn't had a chance to listen to his podcast, but I definitely need to, but I follow his Twitter and he doesn't hold back anything on Twitter mm. either. Oh, and, and Twitter is tame compared to what he says on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but I mean, I think Jim Ross is one of the people I would love to just meet someday and just talk wrestling. Absolutely. You know? I mean, you could spend, you could spend days talking to him about wrestling and never really scratch the surface. His, his, I mean, his, his knowledge and experience is that deep. Oh yeah. Sorry. My wife is sitting right beside me and she just now was trying to show me something. Yeah. You didn't realize <laughs> we're doing the podcast right now. 
She doesn't like to be seen. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, okay. Oh, Angel, Alan's wife just texted Twana. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll figure out what uh, – are they wanting you to plan a trip? Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be on the podcast now. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, tag teams. The subject of our show, we we're going to be talking about the underrated slash forgotten tag teams. And Kyle did give his contribution to this as well when I told him what the subject was going to be. Funny thing is, there's a team that all three of us have all said at the same time is probably underrated, and very criminally underrated. And that's uh, power and glory. Absolutely. I like, I like power. I remember, you know, when we were in school and they started, you know, when power and glory first debuted, I liked them from the beginning. And it's like, you know, not everybody is like Paul Roma is what he is. You know, a lot of people like don't care much for Paul Roma. I wasn't a huge Paul Roma fan, but him and Hercules were a, a perfect fit. And like they just, you know, they had the look. They were both really good in the ring, a lot better than people give them credit for. But that finisher is one of the best tag team finishers. I would put that up against any tag team finisher in the history of wrestling. It was oh. just because their accuracy was just pinpoint perfect. It's just, and it, and it had to be. Yeah, it had to be, or somebody was going to get hurt. Yeah. But they, I mean, they just, it was amazing. Yeah, because I remember when the first time I saw them do, you know, the Powerplex, their finisher. Yeah. I'm yeah. thinking, okay, Hercules just put this guy up on the top rope, and but he's tagging Roma. Yeah. And Roma, yeah. And it's like, oh, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. When and I mean, just perfect. As soon as Hercules hit the mat with the guy, Roma's coming off the top, and it's like they. It, and if you notice, they weren't together all that long, but they got to where they kind of had that Tully and Arn thing to where yeah, they could just look at each other, and the they knew what the other was thinking. And I'll I tell you what, I think that's the one of the biggest compliments you can ever give a tag team is compare them to Tully and Arn. Yeah, Tully and Arn, just my personal opinion, Tully and Arn are the best tag team ever. They weren't the biggest guys, they weren't flashy, but they could beat anybody that you put, in, put them in the ring with because they were just that good. Yep, and, you know, of course, us growing up, I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, you were um, more of a, a baby face person, just like every other kid, you know, when they first start watching wrestling, you like the good guys, yeah. you know? So I ended up hating Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard because they were the bad guys and they were so good, you know, as bad guys, it just made me so mad. They just couldn't lose. Yeah. I was, all, I, when I first started wrestling, cause I've been a wrestling fan since I was about five years old, my grandmother, my mom's mom got me into wrestling and we watched growing up. I watched a lot of, NWA stuff so you know I watched a lot of horseman stuff and I liked a lot of the baby faces but I always liked the horsemen I always especially Arn and Tully my brother was always a huge Flair fan which I like Flair too but Arn and Tully were just you know that glue especially Arn that held that all together and you know to say power and glory I liked I mean and I agree I mean they they should have kept them together longer yes um, 
which ironically enough, instead of Paul Roma leaving and becoming a horseman, you know, which was yeah. not exactly the best fit, but I, I think they could have had a serious run with the tag belts. Yeah, I never understood why Vince never put the tag belts on them because, I mean, they could have had a good run with anybody because at that time when they were a team, the tag team division in WWE was probably the deepest that it's ever been. And there were so many teams that they could have had great feuds with and then and then built them up to get the titles. But it's like, I feel like they just kind of lost interest in power and glory and just kind of dropped it with really no no kind of resolution or anything. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, the division, there were so many great teams that came out right about that time. Uh, and really the years before and the years after, because I'm trying to think the actual years that they were a team. It was around 91, 92, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was that? just a little, yeah, I think it was just a little over a year and then they they split. Yeah, because I'm thinking about a lot of the teams that were there in the WWF at the time. Um, I think Strike Force, they were together. Yeah. Strike Force was together, uh, demolition. Um, the road warriors had just come in, I think, uh, because that was one of, I think that was like, other than the house show circuit, I think power and glory's last like big match was against LOD, but was against LOD, but they just got fed to them mm -hmm. and it wasn't even really a competitive match. They just were booked to get beat up and that's what happened. But their feud with the rockers was really good. Power and Glory's feud with the Rockers was oh, really well, good. I, I can see that. Um, because the Rockers, I mean, I think a lot of you forget, yeah, Shawn Michaels started out as part of a team. Mm -hmm. And yep. a, a really good team until he threw Marty Jannetty through the, the barbershop window. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I wasn't a fan of the Rockers, even though I, you know, I'd seen them in AWA when they were the Midnight Rockers. And then WWE when they came in and I thought, you know, I always thought they were a great team, but I just wasn't really a fan until Sean threw Marty through the window. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> and, and I've been a Shawn Michaels fan ever since. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, and actually you point out something a lot of people also forget, or maybe they just didn't know because you and I are old school fans. Yeah. Uh, well, part of that's just because we're old. And, <laughs> and um, they, before they were the rockers, they were the midnight rockers. Because they were, they said they they were want to be a combination of the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express. Yep. You know, so they paid homage to two obviously great teams. Yeah. Um, who everybody's heard of though, so we don't want to talk about them. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I was mentioned in Strike Force, but and I actually have a list um, that I actually made up as well. I actually have a lot of, uh, yeah. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, there's quite a few names on this list. That's the <laughs> yeah, uh, but with power and glory at the very top. Um, but before Strike Force, um, Rick Martell was actually in a team with Tom Zink. And they were called the K and M Connection. Yeah, that's right. Yep, and they were a really good team, also. Yeah, and when it was, I think Tom Zink, there was, I've heard contractual issues. I've also heard he just wasn't getting along with people in the back. I don't know. I mean, he, he basically, he left the company and that's when they 
formed Strike Force, which Rick Martel and Tito Santana, you know, two of the greatest ever. You're going to, it, yeah. it should be a good team, which it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember them as a team. And then all of a sudden it was like Tom Zink was gone. And then, you know, of course he ended up in WCW. But yeah, I remember the Can Am connection. Yeah. And good name, good team. And th these two guys, the, the women loved them. Yeah. So, um, but of course, I mean, they also love Martel and Santana too. So, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I can tell you, uh, see if some of these names um, may take you way back. You know, well, starting the WWF, uh, the Dream Team, you know, Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, which basically I, I still call that Greg Valentine and that other guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because Valentine carried that team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Beefcake was, I mean, character wise, he he was good character wise. He had his character down, but he's never he was never the the solid wrestler of the team. It was Greg Valentine did all he did the heavy lifting. Oh yeah, and I get kind of tired of Brutus Beefcake when they called him the Barber. Yeah, yeah, and because I started getting called Brutus, <laughs> you know. But I mean, there's worse things. Um, the machines. Remember the machines, super machine, big machine, and giant machine? Oh, yes, yes, because I think super machine was um demolition, um, axe Bill Eady, yeah. also mass superstar. You know, that's what he, yeah. you know, that, that man's got a he's got a lot of names. Um, yeah, he really, he really, <laughs> um, um, big machine was blackjack mulligan. And of course, Giant Machine was Andre. Yeah, yeah. Um, not to mention, you know, then they started having parodies. They had Hulk Machine, Piper Machine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, we. But that was between WrestleMania two and WrestleMania three because Andre that had he had the whole deal where he was supposed to be suspended, but he was coming back under a mask. Right, know, part of the machines and yeah. He pulled the old Midnight Rider gimmick. <laughs> yes. Um, and But then all of a sudden, you know, he left or disappeared again and then came back and walked out with Bobby Heenan. And that's when, you know, the um, the buildup to WrestleMania 3 started. Yeah. But, yeah, so, and that that was always a fun angle too. But, yeah, the um, – Another one, the Killer Bees, which yeah, I told you, uh, Kyle and I, we actually did an episode on the Killer Bees a few months ago, and that actually started um, it almost kind of a joke in a way because Kyle plays uh, flag football, and one of his team's uh -huh. names with, or is the Killer Bees, which speaking of which, Kyle just texted me. He said, um, uh, 59, heart, massive heart attack. So, yeah, he's talking about Dale Wilkes. Yeah. Yeah, so now okay. yeah, massive heart attack. So um basically, yeah, why don't we do the killer bees? And I was like, you know what? I'd say, yeah, let's do that because I think a lot of people have forgotten about them. Yeah. And they were a really good team with a lot of experience. And right after that, Jim Brenzel started following um the Twitter page. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know if he listens, but if he is, hey, cool. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. You know, but, <laughs> Um, yeah, Jim Brunzel actually follows the page now. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I think that's another team. I, I think the gimmick is probably what kept them from going higher 
but yeah that there's definitely a there was definitely a ceiling on that gimmick but in ring if they'd had a different gimmick i think they could have been champs yeah um and plus i think part of it also hurts because they were faces but yet they were technically they were cheating because they put on the masks and you now all of a sudden they could switch off yeah you know so it, i think that also kind of hurt them um uh, that was the ones i was thinking of from the um well a team that's they're known in wwf as one thing but i like them better as another they were the bushwhackers in wwf everybody remembers the bushwhackers sheep herders yes yep yep Oh, man, talk about a complete change in gimmick because the sheep herders were, you talk about hardcore wrestling, that was the sheep herders. Yes. I mean, every every match they had was violence. It was just pure violence. Yeah, it was just brutal. Was and there great. were teams that there were teams that were legitimately afraid to get in the ring with the with the sheep herders because they I, knew what they were in for. Oh, I could believe it. Um because they had some great feuds with the Fantastics. I know another yep. team that you said a lot of people have forgotten about. Yep. Um, and when they were down in Puerto Rico, of course, they feuded with the Invaders. That's right. Yeah. And that man, those were some wars. Yeah. And they had the barbed wire matches. And yeah, they were they were ECW before there was an ECW. Yes. That is a perfect way to put it. And I loved watching the Sheep Herders. And then they got kind of goofy when they became the Bushwhackers, but got them in the Hall of Fame, got them paid. Yeah. And, and by the time they got, really by the time they got to, you know, WWF then, they were, they had put their bodies through so much. I mean, it was probably, it was probably a good idea for them to tone that down and do an easier, you know, an easier style. Yeah, I don't think the WWF is, they probably never had a barbed wire match like the way they used to, where they would wrap the ropes yeah. with the barbed wire. Yeah. Um, and now, I think, Vince, I think Vince would blow a gasket. It's something like that. I think, yeah. I think Triple H might book something like that, but maybe. Um, something about when you become a publicly traded company, all of a sudden you have to watch what you're doing a little bit more. Yeah. I talked to me and Hope have talked about them being publicly traded, and Hope and I both agree I, I, they never should have. They never should have done that, my opinion. Just because it, they had to water the, they had to water the content mm -hmm. down so much, especially like, you know, mid two thousands. It was like, oh lord, it was just so, it was hard to watch. It was hard to be a fan then. Yeah, because I actually, yeah, it was about mid two thousands. I actually stopped watching for uh, a few years and then came back to it. Um, yeah, but yeah, there was some stuff that was very hard to watch. I mean, and of course, at the time, uh, my daughter was just born. And so, I mean, I was having, um, right. you know, um, a lot of time, hard time sleeping, you know, and of course, yeah. my wife was having an even worse time sleeping. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I deployed. Uh, I don't know if you saw what I posted on Facebook today. Yeah, today actually marks the 19th anniversary of me deploying to Kuwait. I did. I did see that. I saw that earlier today. Yep. Um, yeah. And she was all of 57 days old. That's crazy. Yeah. So that, that was, so she was a, a brand new kid when I got back, Yeah. you know, so, um, but during that time, yeah, there was just a lot of stuff they were doing in the, 
the matches started getting repetitive, kind of like right now, the matches are yeah. starting to get real repetitive. Yeah. Um, and they were doing like the, that's back before they, you know, they were doing the brand split, but it was just like, everything was just so boring. At least, at least now, Raw is still very, really boring, but SmackDown is good. So at least SmackDown and NXT are good. They just re- really need to work on Raw because Raw is just, I haven't watched a full episode of Raw in probably two years. Ooh. It's just, it's, it, it's gotten to be a chore. I just watch, yeah. I just get, I just get on YouTube and watch clips of certain segments that I'm interested in, but the show as a whole has not been interesting in a long time. Well, it's supposed to be their flagship show. Yeah. And it's, you know, three hours long. That's what part of the first problem is. It's three hours long. Absolutely. You know, and two hours should be the max for any pro wrestling show. After that, you're just getting filler because yeah. you got to fill, you know, you got to fill three hours with something. And right now they're also filling it with too many skits. Yeah. Um, the promo, you don't need to do 20 minutes to do a promo. Especially opening every show with yes. a 20 minute promo. Yeah. It's and, like, and they are 20 minutes. I mean, because you, yeah. you can say, all right, 20 minutes. Okay. Time for the commercial. First commercial break is at 20 minutes. And they, yep. have a, they start a match. The next commercial break is two minutes later. <laughs> right yep. in the middle of the match. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's so frustrating. But today also the lack of actual tag teams um they've had some but then they've they've split them up yeah you know like heavy machinery um yeah yeah and it was a team with a name yeah which you know i liked them i never would have thought otis would all of a sudden become like the lovable underdog character yeah i didn't see that either um but it made it work but yeah it it happened um now him and and chad gable or shorty g or shorty gable or or whatever his name is this time yeah uh, them as a team is kind of an odd fit yeah because i mean i get what they're going for because you know otis is the power guy and but gable (sighs) chad gable deserves so much better than what they're giving him yeah he is i mean he could have been their answer to Kurt Angle. Yeah. Because he's that, you know, he's that good. Yeah. Kurt Angle wanted to work with Chad Gable when he came, when he, you know, came back for that last little run, but they did the, you know, the, they did the Jason Jordan thing instead. And, and Jason Jordan and Chad Gable, they made a great team. I thought. Yeah. American alpha. Yep. Yeah. um, Yeah. And see another one, they actually had a name, which is rare because, from what I've read and I've actually heard some interviews, they said Vince McMahon, he doesn't like tag teams. No, he, he said he's, he has said that wrestling is an individual sport, but all of his huge stars for the most part, except for, you know, exception of a few, but a lot of his big, biggest stars have come out of tag teams. Yeah. They started in the W. Yeah. They started in the WWF as a tag team. Like, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, you know, two of his biggest ever stars, two of the best champions he's ever had, started off in tag teams. And for him to just dislike tag teams, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. And I think um, 
and I know Rick Martel's kind of a different because he in the WWF he was uh, first in Can Am Connection and Strike Force, and then branched off and became the model, which yeah, goofy gimmick, but he still made it work. Um, right, he made it work, but that was never going to be a that was never going to be a main event gimmick. That was he was that was no. not going to get him as a. Grill Monsoon would say that wasn't going to get him to the pay window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I still think Rick Martell, when I think of Rick Martell, I still think of the AWA world champion because he was, yep. when, I, mm-hmm. yep, when I first started following wrestling, Martell was the world champion in the AWA. Yep, because he had be, he beat Nick Bockwinkle for the belt. It was Yeah, it was either Bockwinkle or Jumbo Saruta. But he, but Bockwinkle was always in the, in the mix yeah. for the, the title in the AWA. Um, whether it needed to be or not. Um, right. But yeah, I think Martell is kind of that weird. I don't, I wouldn't call him an exception because yeah, he was a single star before, but yeah, you're right. He came into the WWF as a tag guy as part yeah. of the team. Yeah. Um, you know, of course in demolition, they came in as a team, but then when Bill Eady, when uh, he had his health problems and Barry Darso, that's when, um, well, he first they put him with crush, but then he ended up becoming the repo man. Yeah, I love. Yeah. I also, I love the Repo Man. It cracked me up. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. That was definitely not a main event gimmick either, but good mid card. Um, mid card. Oh yeah, gimmick. yeah. It was entertaining for real. <laughs> and and actually, before um, before Barry Darso went to the WWE, of course, he was in um, Mid Atlantic, and he was with the Coloss when he was Crusher Khrushchev. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was Crusher. And before he was Crusher Khrushchev, he was Crusher Darso. And here's here's some here's some trivia for you. He had a tag team partner when he was Crusher Darso. He was a a Russian sympathizer who was changing his name, but he had a, a partner who had also became a Russian sympathizer. Um, you know, guess who it is? Or who is it? Jim Neidhart. No way. Yeah, they were actually oh, a team no. for a while. I did not know that. Yep. That is crazy. Yeah, because when I first started buying Pro Wrestling Illustrated, they one of the sections they would have in there was just like a quote for some wrestlers. And Neidhart, I remember his quotes were something about, yeah, the Kremlin is asking for me now. And, you know, they're so proud of me. And, you know, they're going to award me medals and things like that. And so when I saw him later on uh, in the WWF with Bret Hart, I'm like, it's the same guy that was just with, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that was a nice thing about the magazines where you got to see all these, all these faces and then, you know, the names. And then later on, you get to see him in another company. It's like, oh, okay. I've read about him. Yeah. I can't wait to watch him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Talk about a forgotten team. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, <laughs> and if I could stump Dwayland with something, I know that's a rarity. <laughs> so, um, but and, you know, when I was trying to do some research for this, and obviously with forgotten teams or underrated teams, I was thinking, okay, where can I go to find some of the names of ones I've forgotten? I went and looked at um, the Crockett Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I saw some names in there. I was like, wow, I totally forgot that they were in the Crockett Cup, like Coco Beware. Well, Coco Ware, the B wasn't there yet. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a team, and I have to look again. It was they kind of just slapdash through some names together, but he was, re- he was representing what at the time was the UWF. 
and it was the, like I want to say a year the year before he went to the WWF and became Coco Beware the Birdman. Um, right. But before before he even was in the Crockett Cup, uh, as soon as I saw the name, I was like, all right, he was in a team called the Pretty Young Things (PYT) with Norval uh, Norval Austin. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, and they were, I mean, they were a heel team and, um, apparently they were kind of brutal. I never actually saw any video of them. I only saw them in the magazines. Right. Um, but as soon as I saw the name, I was like, oh, that's the same guy, you know, that was, uh, part of the, part of the PYTs. And you got to think what album was like really huge at the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now you're going to have the song stuck in your head. Especially, oh yeah. Especially if I start singing it. <laughs> so, um. But yeah, so like I said, another kind of forgotten team. Um, and we were speaking yesterday, um, and I was talking about Dusty Rhodes and Manny Fernandez being a team. Yeah, I did not realize that they were a team. Uh, like we, like you said, we were talking yesterday. I knew Manny was tag team champions with Rick Rude, but I didn't know that. I didn't know him and Dusty were a team, much less a championship team. Yeah, they won. Um, it was in 1984. It was before Starcade, uh, a, a couple months before Starcade. Um, it was they went against Ivan Koloff and Don Carnoodle, uh, who just left us recently. Right. Um, yep. um, who they were actually a, a pretty decent team because Don Carnoodle, once again, he was the the turncoat. Um, yeah. You know what the yeah. cold the Cold War gave us so many great feuds. It really did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were, uh, they fought them in a cage and it was on in a house show. Cause this is before everything was a pay-per-view and you remember on Saturday mornings, you turn on and, and the, they give an announcement. We have an announcement to make. And you're like, all right, who's the new champions? You know? Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> and we have new tag team champions, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes and the Rachel Manny Fernandez. And let's go to the footage. And, they showed it was probably about the last five minutes or so of the match. Mm -hmm. And you know how everybody talks about Snooker jumping off the top of the cage onto yeah. and Morocco. Yeah, Madison Square Garden on Morocco. Yeah. Yep. Um, Manny Fernandez did it in this match. Really? Yes. He jumped off the top of the cage and dropped a knee on Ivan's head. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, how the match ended, though, was somehow the referee bumped and referees are all made out of glass. We know that. And, right. you know, Don Carnoodle, he yelled for Nikita. Nikita was on the outside. I don't even think he had wrestled a match yet, but he was already accompanying them. He He's yelling at Nikita. Nikita threw something over the top of the cage. But as soon as Don Carnoodle caught it, of course, Dusty elbowed him because that elbow was, you know, was made out of concrete. Oh, yeah, that, that was lethal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Um, at the same time, Ivan had put Manny in the Cobra Clutch. Um, the, the Cobra Clutch, he learned from Dr. Noodle, who had learned it from Sergeant Slaughter. That was the whole lineage of that. Yeah. Uh, well, then Dusty grabs whatever it was, you know, the, the foreign object, and he punched Ivan in the back of the head, knocked him out, and Manny kind of fell on him, and then the referee kind of three new tag champs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and of course, after the match you know they're blaming don canoodle for it 
and Ivan and Nikita, I mean, they just, they, they beat him down. Yeah. Um, they beat him down so bad. His parents um, were actually in the audience that night. And maybe they brought him in for this part. Now I'm looking back at it, you know, I'm no longer 10. So now I can look at it like, it's like, wow, they were actually there watching their son. That's Well, they probably brought him there because, you know, add to this, and they brought him just to, you know, check on, oh, son, are you okay? And that's when they also revealed that, that Dr. Noodle and Keith Larson were brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah, and because Keith Larson, his real name is Rocky Carnoodle. Oh, okay. Yep. Gosh, and, okay. and one of the matches at Starcade that year, uh, because Dark Noodle, when he finally showed up, you know, back to do an interview, he's on crutches. And well, it was Keith Larson, that's what the name he was going by at the time, and Ole Anderson going against Ivan and Nikita. Oh. You know, and um and oh and of course Dark Noodle, I mean, he accompanied them to the ring, but um, but yeah, I, I still remember that because I mean, I was, I was really, I had just started watching wrestling, you know, probably six months before that. And so, I mean, I was just hooked on everything they were doing. That's why I remember it so well now. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he would have thought Ole Anderson as a face going against the Russians. Yeah. yeah. Can't picture. I know Ole's been a face before, but I, you just, I look at Ole, I just see heel. Yeah. Anything I've ever seen him, you know, even even before the Horseman, it was just you look at Ole and you just see Hill. Yeah, because he's so good at it. Yeah, and his promos, he never really well when he he could yell sometimes, but whenever he do a promo, he was just so serious, and you just hung on everything, going, "Oh, he really means that." Yeah, that's like Arn. It was like you know, Arn Arn could yell sometimes, but most of the time, Arn would get his point across without having to scream and holler. That's like, it's like Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts oh, was like the master of the promo. Yeah. And I remember I forget, it was like uh, one interview segment and he was talking about, he's like, he said, I don't have to come out and scream and yell to get my point across. He's like, because if you speak, he's like, if you say the right thing, then you have enough power where people are going to listen. Mm-hmm. without you having to raise your voice yeah well but i'm centered um i feel like i'm like i'm being kind of selfish name on too i know you have some teams in your mind too um well power and glory was one um the fantastics like we we talked about we hit on the fantastics last night and they were a really good team but i feel like they just kind of got overshadow especially once their feud with the midnight express was over i feel like they just kind of got kind of pushed to the side um but they had some they had a really good feud with the midnight express i mean they they made a lot of teams look a whole lot better than they could have on their own yeah um trying to think of some current like some more current teams uh let's see Eminem was a good team. Yep, that's another one Kyle mentioned, actually. Yeah, Eminem uh, is good. Uh, they got, I think they, I feel like they got kind of got overshadowed by the Hardys when the Hardys may, were making like their second run. But uh, but Eminem was a really good team. I'm trying to think. There was another one I was thinking of. 
uh, honestly, a, a more contemporary team, Edge and Randy Orton were a lot better team for the time that they were together than they get credit for. It's kind of like they, it's kind of like their tag team run was just like a footnote, but it was like, I think that run kind of helped temper some of Orton's immaturity. And because okay. Edge was a, you know, Edge was the more mature of the group of the two. And I think it kind of rubbed off on Orton, so to speak, you know, kind of helped him mature a little bit. And they were, you know, at first they were just kind of thrown together and it was like, I don't know if this is really going to work, but I mean, they, they really gelled really well, really quick, a lot quicker than I think anybody thought. And yeah. it worked a lot better than pe- most people thought it was going to myself included. Oh, and Orton's immaturity. I don't think a lot of people realize, um, Orton's immaturity got him a bad conduct discharge out of the Marine Corps. Yes. Yep. And he even admits it now. Um, and, but even though he said he has, he does have a lot of respect, you know, for the, you know, obviously for the Marines because he wanted to be a Marine. Yeah. And when you get a bad conduct discharge, well, you could actually, you can no longer call yourself a Marine. Right. And, you know, so he kind of regrets that, you know, but I think he's a, um, a better wrestler, definitely a better person for it. Yeah. Now, um, you know, and, I do think Orton is kind of what held Kofi back for so long because Kofi made a botch that I didn't even really, I wouldn't have even known it was a botch had Orton not thrown a temper tantrum. Yeah. If he hadn't have thrown a fit, I, cause when, when I saw him throwing the fit in the match at the end of the match, I didn't re- even realize what was going on. I thought it was just part of the story. Right. And uh, I thought it was just, you know, I thought it was just part of the storyline that they were doing. And then I found out later that Kofi was supposed to stay down for the punt and, you know, Kofi, you know, missed his cue or forgot or whatever it was. So Orton, you know, of course, you know, got in the higher ups ear and said he wasn't ready for the main event. So it took Kofi 11 years to get there. Right. And, you know, so I blame Orton for that, you know, um, you know, but Orton's dad, you know, Cowboy Bob. Yeah. You know, he was actually part of some teams himself that I think a lot of people kind of forget about him. Actually, him and Don Carnoodle, they were tag champs uh, before Carnoodle and, and Ivan were. Um, and then Orton and, and Dick Slater, they're the ones who, yeah. Um, yeah, they collected the bounty that Harley Race put out on Ric Flair. Oh, oh Ric Flair, yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, I mean, it was the good old days. Like about at least once a year, somebody would have a bounty put on them. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and they made they made it believable because, like, I remember, unlike like, it's like today, it's like they can't figure out how to do stuff like that. I remember when Triple H put the bounty on Goldberg, and it's like you could just tell he was just copying Harley Race, like mm-hmm. step by step. But it's it didn't have that. He didn't believe it like he did when Harley, you know, when Harley put the bounty on on Flair, you really believed he was about to pay somebody to get rid of Ric Flair. Yeah. You didn't really believe that Triple H was coming out of his pocket to pay somebody to get rid of Bill Goldberg. But the first 
bounty I remember though was actually JJ Dillon had put a bounty out on Dusty Rhodes, Manny Fernandez, uh, Ricky Steamboat, Dick Slater, and Buzz Tyler. There's a name for you. <laughs> Avalanche Buzz Tyler. Um, because there was a match between Ricky Steamboat and Ron Bass uh, for the Mid-Atlantic title. Steamboat hit his body press. Uh, Dylan interfered, and that's when the rest of them ran out. And they stripped Dylan, and he was wearing, like, ladies, like a garter underneath. <laughs> you know, because um, just because wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, that's um, – and I know that's been used – before it was used after but then of course they put the bounty out um on the five of them but do you remember ron bass was actually a uh, part of a team at the time that was being managed by jj Dillon? really black Who bart. Was black bart writers yeah man it's amazing like like when he you know he goes to wwe Ron Bass, that is, and he's the outlaw, and it's just like this ridiculous cowboy gimmick. And it's like you could tell it was like he was playing a character, but when he was in, you know, you know, mid south, mid Atlantic, and it's like he was so believable then. And it's just amazing what WWE can do with, you know, to completely change the perception of someone once they get get their claws into him, so to speak. Yeah. Except for when he cut Brutus's head with the spur. Now that is true. That, some, that was, that was good I stuff. That was good. <laughs> yeah. That was good stuff right there. <laughs> my, sister was a, my sister was a huge Brutus beefcake fan, but I was never, I was never a fan. I'm like the guy, could, the guy wasn't good in the ring and there was only so far that gimmick was going to take him. Right. If he hadn't been, if he hadn't been buddies with Hogan, he would have been the opening match. Every time. Every time. And would have been losing he, it. Yep. He, yep. He'd have been looking at the lights every opening match, but he was buddies with Hogan, and that's that's the only reason really he has a career is because he's best friends with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and I mean that's actually a, a, a podcast on its own right there. <laughs> All yeah. the people Hogan lifted up, um, undeservedly so. Yeah. But his finishing move before he started using the sleeper was just a high knee lift. Yeah. Yep. And first time I saw that, I'm like, that's his finishing move? Yeah. I'm I'm 11 years old, and I kick out of that. <laughs> you know? um, and it's like, you didn't, you didn't believe for a second that that was putting anybody down. It wasn't like a Harley race high knee. Right. When Harley hit somebody with the high knee, that could have been a finisher because Harley was just that solid. Yeah. You know, Harley race beat polio. Yeah. You know, seriously, who beats polio? Exactly. You know, <laughs> and the man smoked like a chimney. And they said he was, um, there was only one person that he was afraid of. Uh, and he probably still would have followed him. And that's Ming. Of course, Ming scared everybody. Yeah, Andre the Giant said that the uh, said that Harley Race and Ming were the only two wrestlers he was ever afraid of. Yeah, and I don't blame him. He said that he <laughs> said he was he said he said I you know I didn't fear any anybody I was ever in the ring with or ever in the locker room with except for Harley Race and Ming. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he didn't want to admit he was also a little fearful of Kamala. Yeah. 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 Um, because Andre called Kamala a name that he shouldn't have. And, right. And Kamala got in his face. And I think at one point he actually pulled a gun on him. And yeah, said, don't, don't you ever, ever call me that again. Right. You know, so, um, you know, but I have already forgot what, what team we were talking about. <laughs> Talk, oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, we're talking about uh, the long riders. And then we ended yes, up with the first yes. beefcake. Yeah. Um, and then beefcake, of course, was part of the, you know, like we said, the dream team earlier with Greg Valentine. Um, and I think that was just, okay, let's give them the titles, but Valentine's really the person who's going to be doing everything. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Valentine's going to do all the work and beefcake's going to just kind of stay in there and hold the belt, <laughs> hold the belt and go hang out with Hogan and apparently carry Hogan's weed for him. Yeah. You know, finding all that out years later too. <laughs> um, but another, another team in the old mid-Atlantic area um, and Paul Jones managed them and they weren't there that long. In fact, I want to say they were, they were also part of Starcade 84, uh, the Zambui Express. I've heard of them. I've never seen any of their, I never saw any of their stuff, but I've heard of them. Uh, they were portrayed as being militant Muslims back in 1984. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Elijah Akeem and Kareem Muhammad. They wore um, camouflage, like camouflage shirts, camouflage uh, pants, or maybe just black pants. Uh, and so they had the look, I mean, great, like, big, big dudes, not muscular. I mean, but just great, big, you know, um, kind of like the, the, the Jerry Blackmail one-man gang type body. Oh, okay. You know, so I mean, it's just a whole lot of fat, but man, they were, they were good. They were brutal and they were one of the teams. They would start out the match. As soon as the bell rang, boom, they're across the ring, just beating the tar out of um, the opponents. Kind of like the way the road warriors used to start out every match. Right. You know, so they would just do that. And um, they were just turning them up. They had their heads both shaved in a mohawk because this is also when Mr. T was, you know, pity and fools. Yeah, and <laughs> so, um, but yeah, just a real uh, brute. They they had actually come up from Florida, and they were teaming on there. One of them's name was Ray Candy, like his actual legal name, and I cannot okay. think of you know, um, life of me what uh, the other one was named. But if you ever get a chance to you know find their matches, I mean they're, um, you know they were they were you know pretty brutal. I mean that's about the best way to put it. And the gimmick was working well, but. I don't think it was ever going to go above like mid card, not, yeah. you know, at the time, um, you know, but one of the teams I remember seeing them go against, and here's another one. A lot of people forget these two were a team and that was the American starship um, starship coyote and starship Eagle also known yeah. as Scott Hall and Dan Spivey. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was back when Scott Hall had the, uh, the Magnum, P.I. look going on. Yeah, he had that he had that glorious mustache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and his hair was kind of like in a perm in a way. Yeah, it was yeah, it kind of was. It was it was like thick but like really, really curly. And it yeah. was just like you know, looking at looking back at that and then seeing him as Razor Ramon, it was just like a shock. Yeah. I remember when him and uh Kurt Hennig 
were the AWA tag team champions. Yes. Another and, uh, and then he shows up, you know, they kept talking about Razor Ramon coming. And then I start seeing the vignettes of Razor Ramon and I'm like, where does mustache go? That's Scott Hall. <laughs> yeah. That's and, and he, before he was the diamond stud. Yep. 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 Cause he um, had, his DDP managed him and Kevin Nash. Cause Kevin Nash was in that's Vegas. Right. I forgot Kevin Nash was part of that group. Yep. Wow. Kimberly was the diamond doll and then Hall was the diamond stud and then Nash was Vinny Vegas. Yeah. And then later on when he became diesel, I was like, ain't that the same guy that was wearing the suit? Yep. No. Wearing, wearing the suspenders. <laughs> I'm like, man, I can't, I can't take, I can't really take him as serious until the 94 <laughs> Royal Rumble when all of a sudden he threw seven guys out on his own. Yeah. And just owned it. I was like, okay, you know, well, yeah, that'll forget, work. Yeah. Yeah. Forget everything I just said. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, when the American starship, they, they went against the Zambui express and the Zambui express, I mean, they just mastered them. Um, uh, I want to say their finishing move was a power slam, um, which you could always get away with a good finishing move like that. If you were big and fat, you know, oh, or, yeah. big, or big and muscular. Yeah, because it was believable that the guy wouldn't kick it out after that. Right, and and they did that, and then all of a sudden the American Starship broke up. Scott Hall, I think that's when he went to the AWA. Then Spivey actually came back for a bit as Starship Eagle, mm, and okay. then he disappeared again. Um, yeah, because he turned up later in WCW. It was him and me, Mark Call- me, Mark Callis, who became the Undertaker. Undertaker. They were the skyscrapers. And then um, and then the Undertaker left because pretty much he left because the uh, Eric, Eric Bischoff had pretty much said that, you know, management didn't really see anything in him and didn't think he was going to end up being a big star. And Vince, Vince was giving him an opportunity. So he went to WWF. And then, of course, we see that Eric Bischoff was wrong once again. But oh, Oli said even worse. Yeah, Oli said he'd never amount to anything. Yeah, and, and now he's one of the most respected wrestlers ever, and, and one Ole, of the best wrestlers ever. Yep, and Oli, who could be thought of as one of the best wrestling minds ever, unfortunately now I mean he's just thought of as a bitter old man just because yep. of his his own actions. I mean that's yep. Nobody to blame on himself. Um, and even though Ole was also part of some classic teams, of course, with the Four Horsemen, with Arn, and then with his with his brother, Gene. Gene, yeah. Yep, and their other brother, Lars. and Yeah. Yeah. And even though Gene, I think, is the only one actually, the real name actually is Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ole's, um, they got Ole. Ole took that, the Ole part from the, um, the oleander flower because it's a poisonous flower oh. and he would be a heel and he was trying to come up with a name and he i forget where he heard about the flower but he's like you know a heel's supposed to be poisonous to his opponents so he took the ole part from there but that's where it came from was the oleander flower i did not know that which is a poisonous flower wow Anytime I say I learned something new, the day is actually complete. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, wow. 
yeah, I did not know that. I bet, I bet my wife, you know, she knows things like that. So, and yeah, I think Jane, I think Jane is the only one that Jane is his actual, is his actual, Jane Anderson was his actual name. And Ole, I mean, with that Minnesota, I mean, cause he was, he was actually from Minnesota. I don't know where yeah. Jane Anderson. I'm not sure about Gene. I know him and I know Ole and Arn are both from Minnesota. I know Arn's but, from Georgia. Oh, was he from Georgia? Oh, Arn's from Rome, Georgia. Oh, I oh, thought Ole was from Minnesota. Uh, I mean, they build him as being from Minnesota. Um, but you listen to his podcast, dude. Mm-hmm. I rec- I highly recommend listening to Arn's podcast. Um, Arn had a, a very, very uh, kind of a. You could say it was tough. But at the same time, he was also very well taken care of. Um, his mom, you know, well, his mom was a single mom, but uh, she didn't raise him anyway. His grandparents raised him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his real name is Marty Lundy. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but he talks about, you know, he, he grew up, you know, pretty much dirt poor. And um, his granddad was a, a barber. And, you know, barbers don't make a lot of money. You know, right. but they made every cent count. He said, you know, that's how he learned, you know, um, I guess the value of money, you know, when you don't yeah. have it, you really know the value of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he talks about how we got to start in wrestling and, um, you know, here lately his fact, they, they now have it, his episode with Conrad Thompson, also known as the pod father. They have his episodes. They, it was coming on, it was being dropped on Tuesdays, but now it's dropped Saturday, 6.05. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Um, and he's been going more and more into his backstory. Um, oh, okay. Yep. I'll have to and, check that out. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, he and he gets to talking about his mom. His mom just sounds like a, you know, like she was just a complete mess. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and unfortunately, I mean, we've known the types. I mean, we knew yeah. them in school. We, we know them now. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, so, Absolutely. Um. But yeah, yeah, definitely highly recommend his podcast. And he, and he actually, they um, they have the Ask on Anything, and they actually answered a question that I sent in. Oh, and, did they? Yeah, it was, um, and it was kind of cool. In fact, I actually have, I have that particular episode saved on my phone because it was kind of cool. They said the first question comes from the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. And I was like, what, what? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and and I had asked them about the cage match between it was him and Ole against the Rock and Roll Express at Starcade '86. Yes, I remember that match. Yeah, and you know, where does he rank it or whatever? And they went on a pretty long discussion about that match, and then it led on into other discussions about cage matches and things like that. And I was like, "Huh," I was like, "That makes me pretty happy." So I actually sent Conrad a thank you for asking the question. And I said, yeah, especially since it did lead into that, said, you know, that, that made my day. And, um, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, thank you. you know, thank you for being a listener. We really appreciate it. So, yeah. So awesome. yeah. Yeah. Between that and Chris Jericho, um, retweeting something I posted with my wife and my son, you know, holding up the list of Jericho a couple weeks ago. You know? yeah, I, saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's right. Chris Jericho retweeted me. What do you think about that? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, anyway, um, Kyle actually sent a video, speaking of Jericho, uh, and when I sent you the screenshot of his stuff, in fact, I might have to look on, at this screenshot. 
it was a video of the thrill seekers which Lance was, Storm and Chris Jericho yeah it yep. was them working out and I had never seen this video before and oh my I mean it, it's like this typical like late 80s early 90s <laughs> video it's like whoo um and some of the other teams that Kyle mentioned, um, of course, said Power and Glory. He said criminally underrated. Um, Eminem. I totally agree with him. Oh, yeah. Um, the East-West Connection. Uh, Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis. Yep. Uh, before he was adorable, Adrian. Yep. Yep. Um, the Fabulous Rougeos. Yeah. Um, which I don't they know. Could have, could have been WWF Tag Team Champions at some oh, point. Oh, I agree. Um I always liked them as a team and I actually liked their, um, their entrance music. The one they were singing on the all American boys. Yeah. Even yeah. though they were, you know, French Canadian, but they're singing all American. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he said the Hollywood blondes. Yeah. You know, now I did almost want to reply to him and say, which Hollywood blondes, because there's been three or four different yeah. blondes. Uh, the one that I think is underrated, though, is Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. Yeah, I feel like I mean they I I love that team. Still, even on the the WWE games, like when I do tag team stuff, I use you know I play as the Hollywood Blondes, and they just you could tell they were having fun with what they were doing. They gelled. You could tell they were actually friends and were you know, coming up with everything they were doing themselves. And of course that's back when Dusty was the booker and then Dusty just, Dusty never had a plan because they weren't supposed to get over. They right. were just, to, they were just a placeholder team for the bigger, the bigger teams to feud with beat and then move on to the titles. They ended up getting over. So they had to put the belts on them because they were over. And then they just never had a plan for them after that. And Dusty just broke them up for no, really for no reason and had them feud for a month or two and then didn't do anything with either one of them. From what people are now saying about Dusty, you know, they, of course they respected him as a booker. They, and another great wrestling mind, his jealousy would get the better of him. Yes. Yep. And he didn't yeah, like he he made a lot of decisions based on his jealousy instead of what was best for business. Right. And uh, the Rock and Roll Express have actually come out and said when they were becoming the, the most, the, they were the hottest item in Mid-Atlantic at the time. And they were run um, on the house show circuit on the same night. They would be running um, like two or three different shows at the same time. And Dusty would be headlining the A show. Well, the Rock and Roll Express are headlining the B show. Well, there was more people showing up for the B show. Right. And Dusty didn't like that. Yeah. You know, um, and another Ricky Steamboat. And he actually said this. I want to say it was like a month or two before Dusty actually died. Um, Steamboat came out and said when he and Tully Blanchard, they were feuding over the TV title. This is back in right. the and, um, you know, of course, Blanchard had, you know, the habit of middle of the match, but he's getting beat. So he's walking, you know, right. count yeah, out walks off. Yep. And, and so at Starkid 84, they had their match 
and the, that rule was waived. So basically, if Tully got counted out or if he was disqualified, then he would lose the belt. Right. Um, well, in the match, um, Steamboat went for a sunset flip. Referee is not in posi- the right position, I guess. Tully reaches down into his trunks because that's you know where you hide stuff. Yeah. And he brought it out, whatever it was, put it on his fist, punched Steamboat and knocked him out and put it back in his trunks and then pinned him one, two, three. And so here's Steamboat is, you know, he's been part of this whole thing where he's trying to get, you know, the TV title off Blanchard and trying, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Dusty fights Blanchard one time. is TV Takes the title. Yep. And, Dusty, that, yeah. and that's when Steamboat left. And yeah. a month later, he was in the first WrestleMania after, you know, yep. a month after he left. Yeah. And became the dragon. Well, and Well, I feel like with, uh, with Austin and Pillman, they feuded a lot with like uh, Dustin Rhodes and a different combination of wrestlers. And I feel like Dusty was expecting Dustin to be over and didn't like the fact that the Hollywood Blondes got over. Right. And so I think it was just kind of his way of being petty and been like, well, I don't see anything in these two guys, even though they're tag champs and they're over with the fans who, which is the most important thing, but I just feel like they were broken up way too soon. And I think a lot of people, especially as big as Steve Austin ended up getting, I think his team with Pillman kind of gets forgotten. Yeah. And because they weren't supposed to get big, but they yeah, did. They, yeah. They weren't. So yeah. Like I said, they were just supposed to be, a thrown together team to feed to the superstar teams and they ended up getting over and that wasn't the plan. It just always seems like in wrestling, if, a, if, if a team or a singles guy or, you know, singles, a woman get over on their own in spite of management, then it's like they try to squash that because they didn't come up with it. And it makes no sense to me because it's like, if they've gotten, if they've done all this work and gotten themselves over, just w- ride that wave and make that money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Make the money because yeah. if the fans liked the person, you know, man, woman, team, faction, whatever, they're going to pay to see them. Exactly. Well, that's just like the hurt business when when they were together. People loved the hurt business, even yeah. though they were heels. People liked the hurt yeah. business. It was like the first, you know, good faction that they've had in a, in a while. Yeah. Every guy could work, you know, even though, you know, Benjamin and Alexander may not have been the strongest on the mic, but you had MVP there. Exactly. To do, do that lifting. Bobby Lashley's amazing. Benjamin and Anderson. You know, I mean, uh, Benjamin and Alexander were an amazing team. They could have rode that out for years. Cause I mean, they rode the, if they could ride the new day out as long as they did, they could have rode the hurt business out a lot longer than they could, than they mm-hmm. did. With belts. With belts, yeah. Because yes. at one point, they had the U.S. title and the tag titles. You know, Lashley drops the U.S. title, wins the WWE title shortly after that. They could have ran with that. If MB- if MVP was, you know, you know, 100%, he could have won the U.S. title and they could have had the whole, you know, the whole all of Raw on lockdown. Wasn't there somebody else with them? Uh, I'm trying I'm to say 
because I was always thinking it's like the full horseman all over again. And MVP was kind of in the JJ Dillon role. Yeah. Cause MVP wrestled uh, for a little while at the beginning, but he ended up getting hurt something with his knee. Right. But uh, at first it was the four of them all wrestling and then MVP got hurt. And then it was just the other three guys. God, I don't think there was, I know. Cause at first, because uh, I know they recruited Alexander because he ended up turning on Ricochet. Right. And uh, But, yeah, I really liked the Hurt Business. I, I hated when they had them break up because it, it made no sense. Well, if you have a faction who is dominating all the titles like that, because, like you said, with the Horsemen, they had all the titles. Yeah. And it made you want to watch them because you're like, somebody's got to beat them. Somebody's got to beat yeah. them. Exactly. And you knew, I remember in the Horseman uh, documentary that they did years ago, uh, Michael Hayes said it always made it interesting because in order to take a belt off one Horseman, you had to deal with all of them. So Mm -hmm. then you get all these different matches that you never would have gotten otherwise because, say, say Luger's chasing the world title, but Luger's going to have to go through Tully, Arn, and Barry before he can get the flare. And so you get all of these other matches, and it's like it like it worked. Just like with the hurt business, like when the shield had the US title and the tag titles, you wanted to watch somebody beat the shield to take one of those belts. And and I think I actually like MVP better as a manager because since he can't wrestle, that means he's going to talk more. And MVP, well, he's he's magic on the stick. He really. Oh yeah, he always has been. Yeah, even, like even in like even in New Japan, because uh, he was the first um, IWGP Intercontinental Champion when they created that belt and uh, they had the tournament. He won the tournament and he was the first um, IC champion in, in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was, I mean, he was good back then. He's worked there. He's worked Ring of Honor, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, you know, TNA, WWE, and he's been money on the mic everywhere he goes. Yeah. And and so if, if he stays a manager, it, I'd, I'd be okay with that because, I mean, he's very good at it. Yeah. Um, and Lashley, Lashley's not, the funny thing about Lashley and his promos when you see a guy that big and that intimidating, I mean, and it looks like he's maybe, you know, two and a half percent body fat. Yeah. And looks like carved out of stone. Yes. Yes. And, or the way Conrad put it, he said, you go to the dictionary and you look up, give me a picture of a professional wrestler and you're going to have Bobby Lashley. Yes. I mean, he's got yeah. the best look, you know, the shaved head and everything. Yeah. But then when he talks, he's like, all oh, this all soft spoken. You're like, Oh, that just kills it, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you know. So, and I was always thinking because I know there for a little bit, it's like they were they kept they tried to turn him face, um, but it's hard to be the sympathetic underdog when you're that size. Yeah, yeah. And, when you're that when you're that size and just that strength, it's hard for people to believe that you're not getting opportunities. <laughs> right, and. You know, uh, for the faces, I mean, they, they usually try to have them fighting from underneath. They're, they're always doing a comeback, and it's hard to believe. Yeah. Bobby Lashley, you know, he's not going to make a comeback, but then they try to make him a heel. Um, yeah. But then when he's talking, he couldn't be as me. But now having MVP doing the talking, yeah. 
that makes it work. And, and so now, I mean, I, um, with money in the bank, uh, it's him and Kofi again. That's right. Cause we were just talking about that yep. yesterday as well. Yeah. It's him and Kofi for the WWE title. It's, it's actually Kofi's finally getting his rematch from where Kofi lost it to Lesnar. Yeah. On the very first, um, SmackDown on Fox. Yeah. Cause Kofi never got a rematch after that. They just oh. stuck him back in the tag division and moved on like he was never champion. So yeah, I'm glad he's getting, I'm glad he's getting a, pay-per-view match especially um in front of fans again so that's going to be really good and that was actually something you could tell lesnar's was one of um vkm's favorites because he won the world title on smackdown two weeks later he's on raw yeah because he didn't want to be on smackdown and so that and but they left kofi on smackdown and so they weren't going to have the 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 brands crossing um not that often anyway except for those that those weird rules they had the the one exception every night after a while i'm like oh yeah the wild card wild card yeah that they never made the rules clear and it was just like it's like if you're going to get rid of the brand split just say you're going to get rid of the brand split (laughs) yes my thing with the brand split though i'm okay with i'm okay with a world title on each show and I'm okay with like the U.S. title being on one show and the Intercontinental title being on the other, but they're they have depleted their tag team and women's division so much that I think those titles should just float between mm-hmm. both shows. And because I mean they've got maybe six tag teams on the whole main roster, but you've got two sets of belts, and it's like. You just have, you're just cycling the belts between the same three teams on each show. Right. And I would actually be happy if they had the world champion, especially now they keep depleting the roster too, um, having the world champion get rid of the universal title or get rid of the world title, make, get, you know, just have one of one top belt. Yeah. And, you know, then have the intercontinental on one show us on the other show those are the top contenders kind of like the way i mean it's almost like treating like a territory system all over again yeah well when they originally did the brand split like the first one back in you know early 2000s that was the idea lesnar went to smackdown with the wwe title that was going to be the top title on smackdown the intercontinental title was going to be the top title on raw they were going to put the intercontinental title on triple h but Triple H was like, well, if Lesnar's got a world title, then I need a world title. The Intercontinental mm-hmm. title wasn't enough for him. That's why they brought back the big gold belt and handed it to Triple H as the first champion under the WWE lineage, lineage because Triple H didn't want to be just the Intercontinental champion. He wanted to be a world champion just like Lesnar. Now, personally, I think it would have worked having the Intercontinental title over here and the world title over here. But right. of course, you know, Mr. Ego, yeah, the had Ego. to start his reign of terror. <laughs> yeah, it was that. Uh, I don't think he had. I don't think he had quite yet started the streak. It, his own WrestleMania streak, where the longest match of the night he is going to be in. Yeah, um, he hadn't started it yet, but he was. He was getting there. Yeah. Um. 
you know, helps when, you know, you marry the boss's daughter and they're all billionaires. Yeah. So now you're a billionaire and yeah, you had a plan. <laughs> you can't get mad at somebody if they have a plan. Yeah. You know, it goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, but, um, yeah, getting back to some of like the older, older teams, I got, um, three more names in this list and see if you remember them. And this is going back a little bit. This is during like the time of the Crockett cup. Um, the mod squad. Yes. I remember Mac, them. Yep. Mac and Jim Jeffers. Um, yep. and I want to say they were also twins. Maybe. I think they were, I think they were twins. Yep. Um, the rock and roll RPMs. I've heard that name, but I don't, I, I can't picture the team, but I have um, heard of them. It was Mike Davis and Tommy Lane. Um, and what I remember from them, and this is actually before they became the rock and roll RPMs, they were in mid-Atlantic and they, they were, you know, enhancement guys, you know, or what we call them back then prelim guys. They were guys that, you know, they were never going to win a match. Right. 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 And or now we're calling them jobbers or now carpenters, you know, it was actually, um, I guess the most respected term out there. Yeah. Um, well, they came up to, to David Crockett, you know, and you're not used to seeing these guys all of a sudden doing interview time. And what they said was, we're sick of this business. We're leaving, you know, we're leaving this business altogether. We hate it. Bye. And it was like, what? It's like, what just happened? Even David Crockett's in there like, what just happened? <laughs> you know? And he's like, I don't know what that was all about. Um, and then they show up, and I want to say it was in Memphis, where all of a sudden they popped up as this team called the Rock and Roll RPMs, and they eventually came back, at, I want to say, for at least one of the Crockett Cup tournaments, uh, but they were they wrestled some in Puerto Rico, uh, I want to say they were in Florida some, um, and they're a pretty decent team, and Mike Davis, I mean, he actually did other things, you know, even after that. But that was one thing that I remember. They, they said they were quitting wrestling, and then all of a sudden they came up as a team. <laughs> you know, so um, – but then one more, and this is a team that actually was um, – an unfortunate accident caused – you know, actually stopped them, uh, the new breed. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was a Chris Champion and Sean Royal. Yes. And – they were they came into mid-atlantic and they immediately were going to start a feud with um the rock and roll express and they said they had come from the the future from the future yeah <laughs> and it almost reminds me of like a bill and ted scenario too but um they had come from the future they came to the ring to um the beastie boys you got to fight for your right to party and they were heels, of course, because, you know, want to go against um, Ricky and Robert. The fans would start singing rock and roll, rock and when they were doing their promos. And then they start going, no, Beastie Boys, Beastie Boys. <laughs> and I still remember their finisher. It was very similar to the Doomsday Device, except for instead of a clothesline. Um, and I don't remember which one came off the top rope. The other ones, of course, holding on the shoulders. But whoever came off the top rope, um, they came with almost like legs first, like he was almost like doing like a Luthez press in a way. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was a pretty cool move. Um, but 
they were there for a few months and they got in a bad car wreck. Oh, that sucks. And of course, I mean, it just ended their push and they yeah. did make a comeback at some point later on, but I mean, it was just, you know, they were too hurt and, but I mean, they did try, you know, yeah. it, it, I think it would have been a really, really good program with the rock and rolls had they not gotten that accident. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, that's actually all my list. <laughs> so uh, and I know you have more, you, you know, you, uh, you have a bigger wrestling mind than I do. And that's that, you know, um, so who are some other ones that you can think of like some of the, you know, some of the more old school guys uh, or girls to, for that matter. I know, uh, like, um, just like more forgotten teams, not really like underrated, but, um, now actually one underrated team was Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, Doom. Doom, yes. Um, you know, I feel like, I feel like if it hadn't have been, if if Ron Simmons hadn't have had that success that he had in that team, I think that's what helped him, you know, have success as a world champion, to be able to get to that. Because, like, especially once they took the mask off, you know, they started out as, you know, the, the mask mystery team, of course, those of us that followed wrestling knew exactly who they were as soon as they walked out, but you know, commentators and everybody just pretended like they didn't know who they were. They came out with woman to feud with the Steiners and then they lost. And the stipulation was they either beat the Steiners for the title or if they lost, they lost their mask. Once they lost their mask though, and they didn't have to hide half their moveset to hide their identity, man, they were on fire. And then they beat the Steiners for the tag titles. You know, they feuded with the Freebirds and several other teams. And I just, I feel like Doom gets, you know, it's kind of lost to time as far as tag teams go. And I mean, that was, you know, Ron Simmons went on to bigger success, but for Butch Reed, I think that's the biggest success besides his Mid-South days. His WWE, he really didn't do a whole lot of any anything as the natural the natural yeah yeah but wcw when he was with ron simmons he was you could tell he was loving every minute of that and i just think they don't get their due as far as great teams um like teams that have kind of been forgotten uh barry windham and ron garvin who were yep. big in the Crockett Cup. They were also United States Tag Team yes, Champions. because they beat for the U.S. Tag Team title. Uh, they I want to say they beat Ivan Koloff and somebody. Yeah, because... it, was, it was Ivan. I can't remember who Ivan's partner was, but yeah, they beat Ivan and whoever his partner was um, for the U.S. Tag Team titles. And then they, um, while they were champions, they entered the Crockett Cup. And they they went pretty deep into the Crockett Cup. They didn't. End, I don't think they ended up winning it. But yeah, they were you know, <clears throat> and they were a pretty good team because you know Barry was just Barry Wyndham. Barry Wyndham was good from the day he walked in. Yeah. So and, you know, you know what the experience Ronnie Garvin had. So and yeah, so, they ended up being a good team. Or as they call him in in WWF, rugged Ronnie Garvin. Rugged, yeah. And I mean, and that run, I don't know if he did that just for the big paycheck because he was kind of on the tail end of his career, but 
I mean, the only thing he did was feud with Greg Valentine. Oh, it, it was Ivan and Crusher, Crusher Khrushchev. He was the other Crusher. one. Crusher, okay. Okay. Um, and when they, they actually, Ronnie Garvin and Barry Windham actually beat them on TV for that because, because they actually mentioned, oh, yeah, this is the first time Ronnie Garvin and Barry Windham is a team and they're going for the U.S. Tag Team Champions. And I'm thinking, if they're just now teaming up, how are they already getting a title shot? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, you, uh, what were some of the other teams that you were thinking? I'm trying to think. I'm drawing a blank right now. I had a bunch of them in mind earlier. Um, man. I'm drawing a blank. I can't think of any right now. Um, I need to write this down for next. I need to make some notes <laughs> for next time. Um, yeah, we, we only had like a, what, a two-day turnaround, so it was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, the last one I could that I could think of off the top of my head was Barry and Ronnie Garvin. I mean, uh, you know, Barry teamed with Luger for before he was a horseman. You know, he they chased the tag titles against uh, trying to take them from Arn and Tully, and then they ended up uh, beating them on. Uh, I believe it was at a Clash of the Champions. They beat them, and then they turned around and defended them like a month or two later. Barry turned on Luger join the horseman i remember that because barry set luger up right in the middle of the ring and went back and did his larry when barry yep. was lariat that flying larry he did that was just, oh yeah oh that was the thing of beauty when he landed yeah that and the you know he was you know a lot of guys had done like the top rope suplex but you had never seen a guy like of barry Wyndham's size doing the superplex he really like put that move on the map yeah but uh, yeah, Luger, you know, him and Luger, um, Luger and Sting, I think people forget they were, you know, they were tag team champions in, you know, the Nitro days because um, they were feuding with the Steiners and with Harlem Heat at the time. Uh, and that was when Luger was kind of a, he was, you know, best friends with Sting, but he was still with Jimmy Hart and, you know, he was kind of, a, he's kind of doing the tweener thing. Right. So he was kind of, he was doing a lot of heel stuff, but then he was still, you know, good friends with Sting and they were tag champions. And um, do you remember the Beverly brothers? Yes. Bla Bo and Blake Beverly. Yeah, they were. Um, and that's what, that was them in WWE. Uh, they were AWA world tag team champions. They were the wrecking crew. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I want to say, and Ole actually put them under masks and was calling them the Minnesota Wrecking Crew too. Oh, really? Yeah, like you know, like part two. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking back back to the days of me buying all the magazines, like every single after magazine I could get my hands on. Um, Ted DiBiase and Doctor Death Steve Williams were a team for a bit in mid-south and then later you know, say, uh, yeah they were that was in mid-south i remember that yeah um and then later Did on um do you remember um varsity club yes love that stable i did too i love that stable him um dr death and mike rotunda uh beat the road warriors for the yes. tag title because teddy long did the quick count 
and I want to say Dan Spivey, was he also part of the varsity club? Yes. Uh, it was Kevin Sullivan because Kevin Sullivan and Dan Spivey were the U.S. tag champions and uh, Rotunda and Williams were the world tag team champions. And this, neither one of the Steiners actually joined that. Um, no, they, they uh, ended up like, well, actually, take that back. Rick Steiner was original member of the varsity okay. club. It started out being Rick. It started out being Rick Steiner, Mike Rotunda, and Kevin Sullivan. And then um, they kicked him out. He started feuding with Mike Rotunda over the TV title because Mike Rotunda was a Florida heavyweight champion. And when he won the TV title, he gave the Florida heavyweight title to Rick Steiner to defend on his behalf. So he wouldn't have to wrestle two matches a night. <laughs> <laughs> and then he lost the Florida heavyweight title. They ended up kicking him out of the varsity club. Um, he started feuding. He started feuding with them. That's what brought Scott in. And then they brought Dr. Death and Dan Spivey in. And because they all, well, Spivey was a, a Florida guy, like University of Florida. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah Michael Tunda was Syracuse. Dr. Death was Oklahoma. Dan Spivey was. I thought he was Florida. I think um, it's yeah, I think so. I I can't remember what Kevin Sullivan's was, but Kevin Kevin Sullivan was the only one that was not actually a collegiate wrestler. Right. The um, other three, the other three were, but he wasn't. Yeah, because I was always thinking one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Georgia. He's a bulldog. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Georgia. Yep. Um, Dan Spivey played, um, he played basketball and wrestled. And then Dr. Death did football and wrestled for Oklahoma. All and American then, at both. Yeah. At, at Oklahoma. Yeah. And then Mike Rotunda was a uh, All-American wrestler and an academic All-American at Syracuse. Okay. Um, and gave birth, or he didn't give birth, he, he helped create you know, Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas. So, yeah. yeah. Um, who, they, who they should have put together when, you know. Thank you. Never, yes, yes, yes. I never understood. I mean, you have the Wyatt family and you do not have his actual real life brother in the group. Well, especially well, after he grew the beard and grew the, you know, and all that yes. stuff. Like, he's got the look now. Just put him in it. It works. And, was it you was telling, I, uh, I compared them to Randy Savage and Lanny Poffo. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. you had Savage, huge, huge star. Yeah. Poffo, you know, who was a, a really decent mid card guy. Yeah. And all the wrestling fans, ones who kept up with wrestling knew they were brothers. It's like, why didn't they acknowledge it on? They never acknowledged it. Nope. Basically until the hall of fame, until Savage yeah. finally went in. Yep. The hall acknowledged it you know everybody else outside of that bubble acknowledged that they were brothers but wwe just they refused they acted like that they weren't related at all they did the same thing with bray Wyatt and bo dallas they still yeah. haven't acknowledged that they're brothers yeah even the, when, only time, the only time they did was when their grandfather passed away when, and yeah when blackjack died. died yep yeah um in fact there was a match on raw and was 
trying to think if Bo Dallas was when they were doing the B team thing, which I love yeah. that team too. I, love, yeah, I, love, was, I like that one. Yeah, it was the B team, and it was uh, yeah. when Bray and Matt Hardy were the the leaders of worlds. Yes. And they feuding over the tag titles, and Bray and Bo Dallas were in the ring together. And the crowd was going nuts. Yeah, and the commentary team is still not acknowledging that these are brothers. Yeah, because everybody's waiting for them, waiting for them, waiting for them. They tag in, everybody's going nuts, and they they did like a lockup or something, yeah. and then and it's like, why don't y'all, you know, go with what the fans are going to pay to see? Like we, we exactly, they're, te- they're they're telling you what you want. It just goes back to that thing that Vince, you know. Vince has always said that he knows what fans want more than they do, which has never been true because otherwise a lot of guys that got pushed wouldn't have got pushed if it was right. up if it was up to the if it was up to us, those guys wouldn't have got pushed. When Kevin Nash was a world champion as Diesel. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of their worst. That was nineteen ninety five. Well, one of the worst years in wrestling. Yeah. And now, the thing is that they Kevin Nash has always been a better heel. Than he's been a face. He's either been, he's he's a great heel, he's a great tweener, but a full blown face has never worked with Kevin Nash. He's just right. too much of a cocky prick, and that's that's <laughs> not me. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Uh, but and that's not a knock <laughs> him. That's a compliment. But I mean, right. that's just he's such he's such a naturally cocky guy that it doesn't work for uh, a face. And but they pushed him into this big face role but had nobody lined up for him to wrestle that would give him a good match. They put him in there. They kind of did him how they did the undertaker for years. We're just going to throw every big monster guy we have at you. And that's going to be your thing is the monster killer. And it's like, you stick him in there with Mabel at SummerSlam. And Mabel almost crippled him. And Mabel almost crippled him. Yeah, for real. (laughs) And, you know, you put him in there with Sid. The only time, the only time he had good matches is either against Sean or against Bret Hart, because you had two guys that could carry him to a good match. And did you tell me one time that you met Mabel? I did. I was working at. It's not even there anymore. It used to be. Uh, do you remember in Hawkinsville when they had the gas station? There were shell stations called Y'all's. Yeah. There was one on the corner there on uh, North Drive next to McDonald's. I worked there Okay. Uh, after I'd come home from Murray State. Um, and one night, this huge, biggest human being I've ever seen in my life wearing this white suit comes in. Oh, and he's wearing white. Like, yeah, I'm just <laughs> looking, I'm looking in his chest. That's how tall this man was. And I look <laughs> up and I'm like, oh my God, you're Mabel. And he just kind of smiles. He's like, I see you watch your wrestling and uh, he was getting gas. He was going to be performing at the armory. Okay. He was was on a card at the armory that night, but yeah, I actually met him in person. Man. Did you feel, so you felt pretty small? Oh yeah. I felt tiny. (laughs) Um, And like I said, you know, he was wearing white on top of that. So he's going to look even bigger. Yep, he was wearing white, and he was in the biggest white Cadillac I'd ever seen. <laughs> um, the biggest, I think the biggest human being I've ever seen, it was actually when I was deployed to Afghanistan, they had some retired NBA guys come over, one of which was Sean Bradley. Oh, really? Yeah, 
and and you remember when he was playing you know he was tall but he was like like stupid skinny yeah he was like no fan yeah yeah i mean like if you were walking by and you were you know you were holding a sandwich you first oh no you need this worse than i do yeah you know he was like like that skinny he ain't skinny anymore oh really yeah so think about that height but now he's he's wasn't he like seven six or seven seven something like that and he towered over everybody and i was like oh my god i mean and he made me feel like real real small and but that's the biggest one i've ever seen you know as far as wrestlers um we're not being up next to him of course being at the matches you know sometimes when you see him in the ring you can appreciate that they're big but you can't really tell how big yeah um but we were there in fact the night that i took that picture of my wife and my son holding the list of jericho mm-hmm. that was up in columbus that was the same night that braun Strowman um did this the the superplex on big show and they broke the ring oh okay yeah we were there for that you that's know? awesome yeah um but yeah, you know, you're talking about yeah, two great big guys, and of course, my bit, you know, Big Show, Paul White. Now he's with AEW. Yeah, um, Strowman. Uh, you said he's he's basically saying five figures in appearance, right? Yeah. Um, um, they, from what I understand, I saw on um, what was it? I think it was Cultaholic this morning. I was reading that um, I think they've cut his uh, non-compete clause down. I think it's like 60 days now instead of 90. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure where he's going. I have heard that Al- Alistair Black is more than likely headed to AEW. Okay. Which he'll, he'll go by Tommy End, which is what he wrestled as on, on the independent scene. But uh, uh, speaking of like meeting, being face to face with big wrestlers, Terrence was at an ECW show in Nashville years like late nineties when like 99, when ECW was on TNN, when they had the TV show on TNN, he was face to face with Mike awesome. Really? Because Terrence is as tall as Mike awesome was. So Mike awesome had to stand on a chair so that he would be taller, you know, because he, you know, he couldn't be perceived as like, well, this fan is as big as I am. So right. it's like, so he's, cause he was fighting. Mike Awesome was, uh, believe he was defending the title against Masato Tanaka. And they had gone to the outside, like over the rail. And Terrence was standing there and Mike Awesome stood up on this chair. But for a moment, they were like face to face, like same height. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then Terrence was at, um he didn't he wasn't he didn't see hogan face to face like up close but um he was at starcade in nashville when when uh hogan wrestled piper okay uh, and that's when the fan jumped in the ring with a knife oh okay i, yeah. I, knew, I knew about the fan getting in the ring i didn't realize he had a knife yeah he had a knife he intended to stab hogan uh they got him out of the ring and they got him down the aisle. And then my brother said that he had never seen somebody get beat up like that all the way down. The <laughs> aisle. Doug Dillinger's just smacking this dude with his radio <laughs> like all the way down the aisle. And it's like, I mean, you jump in the ring like that, you got to expect to get beat up. 
Yeah, because that happened, um, I guess about a month and a half ago, I went to a, a Northern Wrestling Federation show in Covington. And last match, you know, of course, you know, at a referee bump, yeah. all of a sudden some guy jumps up and like jumps over the table that's at like at ringside. That's what kind of basically like the barrier they had between the ringside seats and the ring. Right. Over this table, and he's wearing like a black and white shirt, like a referee. It just when there does the three count, and me and my son and my neighbor and his son, we were all there together, and we're looking going, okay, what just happened here? Because you know <laughs> the bell didn't ring because we're thinking, okay, if this was a special guest referee, right? You know they would have rang the bell, kind of like when Tyson did the did the three count at WrestleMania right. fourteen. Right. Um, but they didn't. And then security, I mean, they're running down to the ring. And the ones that are down by the way, they're already getting in the ring. The guy jumps up. One of the wrestlers, a guy named Andrew Reed, he's just tagging this guy right there in the ring. And and they get the guy out. And the owner um, of the NWF, Roger Ruffin, he he's coming out and he's just laying into the guy. I mean, he didn't touch him, but he's just, you know, what do you think you're doing? Get out of here, you know? And apparently the guy when he got in the parking lot some other fans you know they're oh man yeah that was so cool what you just did and the only reason i even know about that is because um one of the wrestlers who was also there he overheard them and he actually tweeted about it and he's like you know get the f out of here with that he said you don't ever get in a ring and that's when i i had tweeted you know on, on the uh the podcast yeah. yeah about you get in the ring i mean you deserve whatever beat down comes to you yep yep and andrew reed yeah, he gave that one a like too. So, yeah, yeah, I just I've seen that like so many different you know times fans getting in the ring and then people want to be in an uproar when the wrestler is like beating them up and it's like they the wrestlers don't know what you're going to do when you climb in the ring like that. They don't know exactly. You know if you're you know they don't know if you're coming in there to hurt them or what. So they're going to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you're stupid enough to get in there with these professionally trained athletes, then you deserve what you get. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, these athletes who work out pretty much every day. Yeah. You know, and they, the amount of weight that they can push up with or without steroids is still amazing. Yeah. And well, look, well, like look at Mark Henry, who's like never done steroids. And yeah. I mean, the guy can pull a, pull a semi truck. Yeah. Would you and, really want to run? Would you really want to get in the ring and try to attack it? I mean, no, <laughs> not me. Nope. Um, but anyway, I think we've actually ran out of the tag teams to talk about tonight. Um, but Dwayla, my friend, good talking with you. We don't talk often as enough as what we should, you know. Um, but I'm very, very grateful and thank you for agreeing to be the guest host for tonight. Uh, I think no the show we made it. Oh yeah, I'm we happy to do it. I've had fun. Yeah, we made it a great show. We'll definitely have to do it again. Absolutely. Uh, you know, once Kyle gets back from his vacation, maybe we can have all three of us on there at the same time sometime. You yeah. Know, uh, yeah. If we can work out the timing, because uh, I know Kyle has a lot on his plate right now, and yeah. that's why we usually end up doing Mondays um, at eight thirty, eight thirty Eastern time. That's usually when yeah. we're live. You know, um, and for anybody listening, this is the first time we're actually recording this beforehand and then I'm going to upload it later, you know, so I'm thinking about uploading, you know, sending it to upload it Monday, but 
since we also have the weekend, it's a three-day weekend, I may actually have set it to go earlier. I'm not sure. I haven't decided on that yet. And we can do possibly more shows on top of this one. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, just anything you want to talk about wrestling-wise, just let me know. Um, you know, and, I, and you know I'm game, and I know you're game because we both love wrestling and, and always have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, um, but for now, Dwayne, I will bid you a, a farewell to the podcast you know, at least, and we'll keep talking after this, obviously, but, um, yeah, but I'll go ahead and hit stop, and so, uh, this has been fun, and we're definitely going to do it again. It's been fun for me. I appreciate you having me. All right, dude. We'll talk at you. All right, man. All right. Bye.